Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. My guest today is Norman Chela. Hi Norman. Hello, hello. How are you doing? <laughs> good. It's good to have you here. And let's not waste any one moment more than we have to. What is an idea that has been helping you live well? Sure. Uh, so, I mean, I've already mentioned this right before we started. Uh, this is something that has been... captivated me this year at least in the last two three months but it was the product or the the accumulation of so many realizations over the past few years of the actions that I've taken and what I've observed and in re- in realizing that I was just like oh wow this is actually mind-blowing it was so mind-blowing that I start to see the 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 ubiquity of this idea applied to anything that I do So one sentence summary of, of that idea is that everything is a conversation. So there is a, there is a deliverer of message. There's a medium of message like that, that message is being contained in. And then there's a retriever of that message. The point of that is that that understanding can be applied to anything. And when I say anything, I don't mean like, oh, you know, um, uh, this person is talking to this person or, or this is talking to that. I'm also talking about intangibles. So like concepts and connections and realizations and more. So if everything is a conversation, then something or someone is trying to speak something to the other. And now we start to think about things like articulation, perception, and the limitations of those two concepts, which... further spread out to all the other humane aspects of our lives. Like, how do we learn, right? Like, mm-hmm. when I see something in the world and it's telling me something, maybe it's not telling me via words, but I'm using my eyes to observe. It's a conversation. I speak or I see from the limitations of my experiences now. And I look at the world and it's telling me or it's showing me something. And it's something like, oh, what, what can I conclude from this observation? And so um, there are two conversations happening there. It is the objective, which is what is truly being shown in front of me, and the interpretive, what is or what, what is relatively um, true or what is relatively believable from my point of view in observing something, and what can I do to realize the wisdom from that experience? And in the last two, three months, that's been... It, that that has elevated so much because wow. um I had some like really crazy almost like almost insane magical experiences that had actually made me believe that that sentence even more uh, up until now wow yeah so much to unpack there and you've definitely piqued my interest in this um because it is such a, a fresh kind of uh claim 
or um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's so interesting. Um, but before we get to the to the last two or three months, which I'm definitely going to uh, inquire about, what are the beginnings of this idea for you? Uh, even before it became maybe explicit, but can you trace back the origins of this? Yeah, um, I tried answering this question myself, and I feel like there's many different potential angles to it, but I think there's one specific angle that is louder than the other angles uh, to arrive at that point. So I had a very strange upbringing where I was moving from country to country and learning different languages. And in my household, we come from an indigenous tribe, so we have our own language. That mixed with English was like the de facto way of communicating with people. So it was very normal for people, especially my own brothers and sisters and my parents, etc., to be code switching when talking to um, each other. Right. Like if we want to, if you want to say like, "Oh, can you pass the water uh, to me?" You know, you don't, you don't like. That's not the only way to say it. So there's this, there's this natural assumption that. There is no absolute way to arrive at one point. Mm -hmm. And I had that ingrained in me um, mm -hmm. slowly over time. I moved to Europe and then I started learning other different languages like Dutch and French and Spanish, etc. And I'm not that good at them now, but I've started to get a level of resonance with how people communicate according to their point of view in, a, in an intercultural exchange. So if a Dutch person is speaking Dutch or is speaking English, in an English conversation, they speak English from a Dutch point of view. So mm -hmm. there are tendencies between there that are implicit. They are hidden. We don't talk about them. They're using right. the same words. But then just as we know, just as we can recognize intention from tone, from rhythm, from volume, their cultural tendencies actually add more to that message. So it's like, it's like you're baking a cake and we know that it's a chocolate cake but then there's icing on the cake and it's transparent, but then it's like, because it's Dutch, maybe it's a different flavor because it's French, it's a different flavor. We don't know until we've tasted it, right? Yeah. So now there's this, it's happened constantly, like language conversations and exchanges between different people. So far, English was the main primary language I would use. Ironically, English isn't my first language, although I've just used it the most. Um, and it became more apparent when I started learning Japanese in Tokyo that it was so dissociated that I saw what language could be mm -hmm. when unspoken. So in Japanese, there's so, many, there's so much depth to the messages being sent when we speak of silence. And there's a difference between someone saying... Um, uh, like, like for example, if you and me, we meet up and catch up after a long time, or like, and then I say like, yeah, I'm doing okay. How about you? Versus me saying, yeah, I'm doing okay. What about mm -hmm. you? Right? So there's yeah. a certain burden or certain weight and, mm -hmm. and even more, right? So that's more explicit because you can hear it from my tone. Now imagine that you can find that level of messaging or that level of value in what in what is found to be complete silence mm. in a completely foreign language and that's what mm. i discovered in in japanese so now 
we have people trying to communicate with each other in different languages. And this conversation has been happening all the time. But then since languages are merely personal translations from someone's point of view, from how they have arrived up until this point to start talking with me or with yourself, then we're not that different from each other. The messages can be found universally, but how it arrives to you then differs. Wow. So then everything is then a conversation, right? If I look at a park and there's like green trees and grass and the blue sky, etc., and I and I, I want to describe to you this park because it's so beautiful, right? I will say, hey, there's green trees, blue sky, etc. The birds are chirping, etc. And if somebody else, like a Japanese person, will come in and they would speak of it, and they would choose words that may have like there will be less words being spoken, but there's greater emphasis on the weight of each syllable or mm -hmm. of each pronunciation or of each like kanji or like Japanese character, uh, etc. What does that tell you? It means that the messages are equal. We're both trying to describe to you how beautiful this park is. The difference then is that how it lands to your point of view will then shape something, a park of which all three of us would have never seen before because you will interpret both our messages completely different. Right. Then all of a sudden, what lies between all of this, what makes this all possible is articulation. So how I can deliver it as close to what I intend to as possible. It's like a game of darts, right? Every time I'm trying to send a message to you, I'm trying to hit bullseye. But sometimes the, the, the darts might move. Right, the board might move, or I might hit completely. I might accidentally insult you by saying something that can be misinterpreted completely in a different language. Perception, which is how you view this thing that I'm trying to tell you, and one more, which is translation. So now, if everything is a conversation, your goal then is to train your translation to the point where anything that you observe, you will 100% embody you will 100% be able to articulate. You will 100% be able to express. And when you can share it with somebody else, you will be able to express it so well that it's almost like mind reading, right? You're like sending a picture directly. into. You're like copy pasting a picture from your head into theirs. And this is when we start thinking about you know, like these, like these frameworks or ways of teaching people, it's like, oh, explain like I'm five. Or like, oh, if you can't explain yeah. something simply, then you don't understand it completely. That's translation, right? You're translating something and expression becomes a, like a phase in that translation. So now we arrive at this point and we want to question what we know. Can we translate it well? Can we articulate it well? Uh, can we believe our own perceptions? And these are all questions that like are lingering all the time. Um, but, but yeah, I, like to answer your question, um, how I came upon this idea was just this constant observation of languages being used by people, and then trying to apply that to non-people. <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, that's fascinating. And you know, for me. English is a language that I taught myself when I was probably four or five. So I'm definitely interested in that. Um, yeah, in, in bilingualism or, or multilingualism. And yeah, what, uh, what languages do you dream in? 
Oh, oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, English mainly. Um, my indigenous language. So uh, I come from the Iban tribe uh, from the island of Borneo. So it's called the language as well. It's called Iban mm -hmm. uh, and Japanese. So it's sometimes wow. it's one or it's a hybrid. But I've been recently trying to break apart. Uh, sorry, no, not not break apart. That's the wrong word. Um, reduce dependence on languages taught by societies outside of my like my bodily vessel. So basically, I've been trying to invent my own language, and <laughs> like, so that that's a pretty crazy project. But like, I haven't really fully started on that. But um, that I I noticed that in my dreams, I have remnants of like symbols that I would notice. That mm -hmm. I have never seen ever in my life, but then I understand what they are. That's so it's cool. so so um, weird. But yeah, I'm I'm asking because you know to me it's it's a it's a it's a sort of test, right? To see what like if you dream in a language, that's you have some sort of emotional connection. And I want to go back to what you mentioned about how um, a Dutch person, let's say, would speak in English, but would have. Um, the Dutch concepts or the concepts as they are in Dutch kind of. And of course, these are just a, a level that's covering thought that is pre-verbal uh, ultimately. Um, yeah. But I noticed something with, uh, with me that was interesting in my life is that ever since I taught myself English at the age of four or five, it's, it's not so much that I would speak English and be myself. I noticed that you could always you could almost become a different person speaking in another language if you're really thinking in those other languages and are dreaming in them and are you're immersed in the culture at some point it might um it might be that you really feel like a different person which is a kind of um uncanny experience because i always noticed or at least i perceived myself to be much more open, much more friendly, much more, um, yeah, just a bunch of different things speaking in English. And in a sense, I was always even a happier person when I spoke in English. So it's, it's really weird. I want to know if you experienced anything like that or is, is any of the foreign languages that you taught, like for me, English, I always had this deep emotional connection with it. And then in university, I went to study Latin. And after a year, I, I also uh, picked up ancient Greek. And it, between them, it's not even close. Even though I started studying them at the same time, it's like with Greek, I love writing it. I love the calligraphy of the Greek script. And it just does something. I just love it. Like in a real sense, I love it. And it's just so interesting that we can have this emotional connection with uh, languages for some, you know, quite a mysterious reason. Yeah. Um, hold, hold on to that thought because I have a lot to say about this. So uh, to me, like when we speak of fluency of a language, fluency is you giving birth to another version of yourself through different perceptions. If you're learning a new language, you are questioning one, where are you right now? with what you have and two how can i achieve natural fluency by 
I'm going to put in air quotes here, pretending um, to immerse yourself in another culture, learning the letters, uh, writing, reading, and even, you know, the semantics, the grammatical forms and the literature and more. And I noticed that this was, I noticed that this was more apparent because part of achieving fluency involves realizing that not every point of view from my like initial language when I'm learning a new one will work in another language. Like if I'm trying to speak Japanese in a very English manner, it sounds awkward. Mm -hmm. Or if I try to speak um, English in a very Japanese manner, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit vague uh, at times because, because languages then depend on other factors that they're maybe not prioritizing that specific language. Like the, the level the, the impact of silence in the Japanese language is far greater than there it is in mm. English, whereas it's not the same for the opposite, right? So you start to see that, okay, um, as a person right now, I am lacking in terms of fluency. If I want to achieve fluency, I must create a replica of myself or I must embody a replica of myself from which I can learn or speak it better. Even, even saying the sentence, to speak a different language, that's mm -hmm. a lot heavier than we, than we think. Because to speak of another language means that we must create the organ and or the mouth and or the body that can that is that has the capacity to actually you know speak that language. That's already that's already a very very challenging thing. So we start to see language learners once we see them being able to achieve fluency in many different languages, we hold them in such high regard because the challenge is so great right? yeah. that they can just as fast as possible right now with that point set in mind sometimes there are moments where i would um disagree with it like i would have this point of view and then i would disagree with it like maybe two months later <laughs> because slowly but surely translation then um becomes a challenge right you, it's not like i'm not i'm not asking like you know pretend to be somebody else to achieve fluency no it just means pretend, no, be in a, create a vessel that really is honestly yourself that can harbor these points of views in this other language better to achieve fluency. And then the goal is to just to switch bodies every single time. But sometimes I would disagree because I don't feel like I'm not necessarily masking, but more so I, I'm not trying to navigate around different parts of myself to translate what I intend to say. So there is then an intermediary language that needs to be said. Like, for example, if I'm speaking English with you right now, internally, I may, I may have my own thinking patterns mm -hmm. and I may have my, my own ways of like visualizing something. But if I say it to you right now, it might not make any sense whatsoever. You'll just be like, huh? Like what? <laughs> but then this will be... Um, but then this would be uh, in the realm of learning something new, learning a language. You're not fluent in that second language yet. So you want to speak from that internal language, then to your most fluent language, and then to your attempted language, right? So fluency is how to skip that middle part, how to skip from that extended language to back to your internal one. Yeah. So now you're not, you're not, um, creating a character of your primary language self, 
you are creating a character that is yourself, that is an equal to your primary. And once that is, once that is manifested, all of a sudden, even if I speak to you in like five different languages, you're going to act exactly the same. You're going to sound exactly the same, but you respect the rules, the boundaries, the tendencies, the nuances of every culture that we speak in. It makes me really see who you are as a person, no matter what angle we choose. And I think that's a very beautiful thing. So yeah, I, I do agree of the, uh, like the multifaceted nature about learning different languages, but I have a feeling that it may evolve from like, oh, there's different sides of me to a, there is a universally me Mm, and and languages have no have no influence on it like i yeah. am just myself no i think that with time you're absolutely correct i think that today it's more integrated but at certain parts in in my life where it was um you know where there were questions of belonging to like which group right while well, everybody around me was speaking uh hebrew and really none of my immediate family members um are fluent in English, like some of them are okay, but then it was it was a major a major way for me to um, to kind of turn outward and find communities online and so on and belong in other places and and maybe and maybe that's that you know it's just that I found communities that are better suited for me and then that also affected like my emotional. Um, emotional state and so on but you're right as, as time goes on it it is kind of integrating into uh one different per uh one person that's the same in both languages and um and that seems to be the the case today yeah for sure mm -hmm. i'm super interested in in um in your attempt to what what does it what does it do for you day to day uh meeting people and navigating the world in terms of actually mm -hmm um bettering your life like how is it um helping you uh, achieve well-being easier i think the the one of the parts that has helped with is that it's helped with cultivating empathy to a certain degree when you meet people from different cultures from different backgrounds we can't assume how they've lived we cannot assume how they view the world even if we know where they're from that could be like that could lead to a general impression, but then we cannot fully assume 100% of who they are. Language learning or the act of embodying different multifaceted versions of the self is almost like what you see or what you can benefit from acting out different characters in a play or a movie by going into the deep dark depths of a character's backstory, their thinking patterns more, you start to understand and relate with how they act. It may be different from who you are as a person, but with proper understanding comes the proper way to proceed with it. So in general everyday conversation or reaching out to people or you know, um, understanding different cultures, etc., all of a sudden, there's just greater accessible knowledge because there are things unspoken that are also valuable when I speak with someone from a high context culture, mm -hmm. just as an example, uh, versus someone who is very direct and very explicit. That's neither right nor wrong. It is merely, it merely is, right? So it's more about how I react to that. So I empathize with their situation and I will act accordingly to accommodate for what they're looking for 
but I will stand my ground because I have myself to 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 handle. So now people aren't as shall we say um what what's the word for it? I want to say scary. Like people aren't as intimidating mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. as they are, right? Mm-hmm. Someone is acting this way because they view the world this way. Someone speaks less because they they view the world more so internally and they they don't speak out uh, more. It's up to me to figure out what that is. And now that I see that um, so commonly between many different kinds of people, uh, I feel safer because I start to see agreements and disagreements with this different different personalities. I don't have to subject myself to them. And I know more about myself, how to protect myself, and how to empathize with people at the same time. So there's this like huge beneficial element where our souls are having a conversation because I can understand your language better internally. Yeah, that's 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 beautiful because um, having having studied uh, linguistics, you know, you get all these uh, studies that show you the benefits of being um, bilingual or trilingual or whatever, and they enumerate the like response time in processing language and the ability to see things differently and whatever. But actually, empathy is not something that is mentioned in these studies, and I actually think that you're exactly right. Empathy is the biggest. Um, benefit that rises from understanding more than one language and I can I can give a very good example of this well first of all I'll start by saying that you know if you're stuck to one language then um, the definition of a species in the natural world is just simply members of some sort of tribe or class or group that won't uh, that won't actually reproduce with one another Right. So, of course, we know that you all humans are genetically compatible with one another. But actually, a language barrier, if there is one and it's it's strong enough, it's actually dividing us up into different species because there's absolutely no chance that. You know, and and species is is really not just a a genetic thing. Um, Anyway, the, um, what I'm saying is that it, it, it's a really big divide to cross a language. And if you know just one, you might think that really everybody who's not speaking your language is like very, very different from you. And, you know, it sounds kind of ridiculous because, of course, we can consciously think about, oh, there are people like me, whatever. But the experience is just much more salient once you speak two languages and you understand a whole other culture. And you start, if not understanding all the other cultures, understand that there are other cultures. And maybe that makes you a lot more tolerant in your own thinking towards yourself because you understand there are more ways to do things and approach things and so on. And a very real example for my life here in Israel is um, really the tragedy of us not being taught Arabic because, as the world knows, uh, there's a conflict here, and all Arabs know Hebrew almost a hundred percent, right? But for Israelis like me, who born in '87, uh, grew up during a horrible time in the '90s where there were a lot of suicide bombings, and you know, a lot of us have PTSD to varying degrees. And for a lot of people, just hearing people speak Arabic is triggering, you know, and. There's a very easy solution to that. If we had been taught Arabic, 
we would actually recognize every time that we hear Arabic on the street that these people are talking about buying milk or how do you do? Or it's like, you know, you don't have that. That's in a very real way um, something that's damaging to to you. Um, and so I, I love your, your answer that empathy is really the, the main benefit to be derived from speaking multiple languages and thinking in different ways. Also creativity, right? It greatly helps creativity in the sense that you can, as you say, put slightly different filters on the same thing and notice um, different patterns, right? If, uh, if one language is kind of can be um, described as a filter that has the normal filter for us, which is seeing the, the, the wavelengths that we see usually, and we superimpose that on a thing, we see it one way, but maybe another language is like really going more towards the ultraviolet side of things you know you see different patterns different patterns emerge and then you can compare the two juxtapose and make a, a much better um decision about the thing so uh yeah i really really like and appreciate your um uh really making uh, empathy stand out as the as the greatest benefit yeah and, and just to add to that um uh we have like real tangible examples of this and the best way to look at it is to look at art and how art is created in different cultures, right? If you've ever compared like European art versus American art versus Japanese art, etc., these are conversational pieces that are just frozen in time, right? Mm -hmm. There's this person, they're trying to depict something onto a canvas. They pick their medium, they pick their art style, they paint, and then they they sweat and bleed and cry and suffer just to make this real. And once they've realized it, they hang it up for people to see. And all of a sudden, you have someone who would go in, whether it's a museum or hung somewhere, and they would view it. And they're having a silent conversation between where they are right now and who this person is as they created the, the piece. And when we start to see, like, if, you know, if you start to see different depictions of like of like a hill or a mountain or something but it's depicted differently from different cultures etc it's the same thing but different they're describing the same thing but it's interpreted different so there is the objective definition and there is the interpretive definition and the blending of both the blending of both and understanding the commonalities as well as the the what what separates them what makes them stronger is empathy knowing what that is. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I look at this piece of art and I'm like, wow, this is very beautiful, etc. This is amazing. And that's great. But then if you put two pieces of art that are talking about the same thing, but different interpretations, that empathy is distinguishing between how each artist has arrived at the point where they can create such a masterpiece. And that is empathy at its finest. It's just that sometimes empathy... Like we, we start to, we like to assign empathy to um, almost immediate responses. Like you, uh, the act of being empathetic to another human being as they are doing something. And then we respond to that. But sometimes empathy can also be asynchronous in nature as well. Um, hmm. So yeah, there's just also to note. Yeah, I agree. I mean, art is, is somebody communicating um, from a long distance and a long time away. And 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, it's it's not for nothing that people consider, you know, talk about a language that an artist uses over time, right? So actually, it almost makes no sense to meet an artist and see one work that they've done and refer to that immediately, jump on that and see, because that would be like meeting a person for the first time, hearing their first utterance and reacting to that as if you as if you know the first thing about that person where in fact you know you could have met them on the best day of their life or the worst day of their life you you have no context and it is you do have to i think uh dive deeper and make sure that you do go and see uh that person's uh whole repertoire of things and that that is really interesting because in a sense you said you were going to come up with your own language and i took it to mean um like a a conlang right but uh, but in fact everybody who's an artist is really has this idiosyncratic language that they're speaking and the ones the ones that are really good at it people get which is absolutely amazing it's like a person mm-hmm. is speaking to you in a conlang and you get it yeah, uh, Conlang. Oh man, um, I can't wait to like. I, I have this like crazy dream of like wanting to spend an entire year in seclusion. That's amazing. Like a writer's seclusion, just to invent my own Conlang. Um, because this is probably related to the the thing I was mentioning about like what I spent thinking about in the last two to three months. But the Conlang thing is a little bit like it's it's part of it. Um. And we should say what conlang is, I guess. It's so constructed yeah, yeah. language, right? Like yeah. uh, J.A.R., Tolkien's, um, Elfish, or whatever. Yeah. Anybody's like uh, Esperanto, these these type of things. Yeah, or Game of Thrones, Dothraki, right? Mm-hmm. It's normally a conlang is a constructed language built for a specific context, um, most likely fiction, right? Most likely uh, fiction, but right. it's within a closed context um, and it shouldn't exist, shouldn't like by on paper uh outside of it uh so well esperanto yeah. been, was designed to but, to kind of become global except it never did uh which is yeah. also interesting to consider why yeah yeah the the universality of it uh of esperanto is also fascinating to look at so i've been really like i just really like conlangs and how it came to be like the history of it i don't know any right i just look at it and i'm just like wow like mm-hmm. the very first conlang i've ever seen is uh my favorite Disney movie, which is Atlantis. So, like, I love Atlantis, and they have their own invented uh, conlang in there, made by oh no, what's his name, Mark Okren, I think, um, someone who is just really, really good at making conlangs for multiple, multiple universes. Uh, so that's always been like stuck in my head, and I was thinking to myself, like, can I make my own, like, my own internal one, right? If I have, I have an internal society and I have internal characters, and these characters represent different facets of myself. And and with all of them together, I am whole. I am plural. I am me. My name is a universe. And the entirety of that, all those elements in there, what would they say to each other? And what would they speak in? Right? So that was like the basis for, for what could be a construction language within myself. But um, it, I don't know if it has to be spoken. Uh, maybe it is visual related. Maybe it is like dance related. And in exploring different mediums of expression, like dancing and painting and 
and talking and like writing and different kinds of writing and all of that and even like inventing my own script and symbols and stuff like that it was just me like doodling around it turns out that all of that is very very um uh useful because i start to find different ways that i just don't like expressing in right mm -hmm. like um maybe maybe you're writing in a specific way i would hate it or i would prefer to read right to left instead of left to right as per english uh, or, right. or something like that or like as per japanese it's like top to bottom like mm -hmm. that could be one uh where they have a character and this character means so many different things in this one character uh as opposed to uh english which has you need to put multiple syllables together before it makes something that makes sense and uh, that like that's an example so in picking out rules for articulation i become clearer about what i want and when i become clear about what i want it, it's a lot more comforting to know that it's something i believe in and yeah Conlang is like, Conlang is definitely in the back of my mind. I don't have an answer for it yet. I, I don't, I can't speak anything for you right now, but like maybe it's... ask me in like a year or something, but it's definitely in the back of my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's so fascinating. I, I really think that we haven't, I, I think that language, you know, it's such an ancient tool and such an ingenious tool. Um, of course, imperfect. You know, I, I think that we all know the, uh, the experience when we just feel inadequate and we have the type of feelings that are just not, uh, that stay ineffable, even though we would like to communicate them to loved ones and so on. But language generally is just this ingenious invention. And I think that we're looking at space and we're looking at the ocean, we're looking at um, different parts of reality and finding a lot about it. I really think that language, we haven't even begun kind of, scratching the surface to see what we can do with language to make things because there are such different ways of thinking about things and you could do that with language i think a lot about it like for example if you have um you know in my work with dialectic like thinking about things and how um different levels of emergence of things you you could find some sort of um an article in language or auxiliary verb or whatever to denote that now you're talking about something that's up one level from all the things that you've been talking about before. We don't have it, but there's no, um, yeah, there's no, nothing that says that we couldn't come up with it. I also, at some point, I tried to uh, come up with uh, my own base 12 counting system, like numeral system, because I feel like just having the uh, the base 10 system is is probably like being um just um having one language in a sense right so i really wonder what it would be for mathemat mathematicians to be fluent in in like base 12 base 20 base 10 like different uh bases i think that could be uh really interesting because i i suspect i don't know i'm not i'm not a maths guy but i suspect that it might allow you to find certain patterns more easily uh, through overlap where you see these like uncanny matches so uh, somehow so it's it's always good to try and enhance uh your ways of, of thinking really about the world and and be able to to compare and do that yeah so i'm you know i might join you on your retreat whenever that's happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah i still need to think about it um one of the main objectives for that seclusion is um, is the exploration of articulation as a concept. 
right? Like even more so because translation, yes, is important. But translation always assumes that since everything is a conversation, there is a party A and there is a party B and there is an intention somewhere in there. But mm. articulation is, uh, is sort of needed for any of that to even happen in the first place. So that seclusion was more so of, okay, what is my relationship with articulation? And how can I think about just this one thing for, for 12 straight months? And it was going to be a conlang. It's going to be me just like scribbling on walls and figuring out if these patterns of like weird pencil marks on the walls would make sense to me. Like, can I see, like, can I see God at this? I don't know, right? Like something crazy like that. Um, it, it's almost like this, um, this bound of madness that I, I'm kind of obsessed over where just, just the strangest ways to explore these ideas uh, is something that I, for some reason, gravitate towards really, really well, just because why not? <laughs> just because, you know, wouldn't it be funny if I just did this? You know, that sort of thing. It's almost just fascination. Um, but my level of fascination is so grand um, that I'm willing to go extreme to the point of seclusion just to, to figure this out. Um, so someday, somewhere or another, I may invent it for, I don't know, maybe like a main primary language and then sub-languages for, for tangible things, right? Like a language for nature or a language mm -hmm. for intangible concepts a language for thinking uh, or maybe like specific prefixes and suffixes for uh, intention, explicit intention, and then exploring vagueness as a way to express something because vagueness is very vague. We, we, we don't like that in any sentence, no matter what, it sucks. When mm -hmm. someone's being very vague, it sort of makes you anxious because you don't know what they actually said. Um, but can we, can we articulate or make use of it? I don't know. So Many different, many different ways to go about it. So we'll see. Because one of the other, like the the reason why I want to research that, is because I I do a lot of fiction writing in my, in my uh in my spare time, and I've always wanted to do this really crazy story idea, where. Where uh there's a there's a a world. Um, where the sun and the moon are gods of truth and lies, and. When you, uh, when, what was it? Oh, when, when, when daylight comes out, when, when the sun is out, you must, you must, you're not allowed to speak the truth or you will burn. And then when night, night comes out, like when the moon is out, you're allowed to speak the truth, mm -hmm. but people use the same language. So like when you, when you speak to someone during the day, how do you know if what they're saying is the truth? Because technically they're lying, right? right. But then once, once the sun sets and the sentence is still going on from sun to moon, mm -hmm. how much of that is lies? How much of that is truth? So like, I want to explore that vagueness to the point where I will invent crazy rules and just test my ability to write it out uh, and, yeah. and see what human, how will humans... Like I want to experiment with humans mm -hmm. to the point where I want to see how they will react in that way. It's just madness uh, in my head sometimes. Yeah, what what are the so, rules for an eclipse? I have to know. <laughs> yeah, I still have to figure it out. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is um, this is fantastic. I mean, there there are really there are so many things. I I really I'm gonna say it again. I think that the ability um, to find or the stuff that we could still find in language is 
is great and nobody's working on it. practically nobody's working on it and for 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 a good reason it's it's hard you know it's i think for the same reason that esperanto never really took off because you are born in a language and just as you mentioned fluency it's 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 hard you don't want to be less fluent moving into something new um so it's going to be a very gradual shift but hey you know there's really as babies there's really no amount of languages that you can talk to a baby and they won't pick up probably so i think it it will happen and it's a complete uh yeah unexplored frontier which we're which we're going to to get to yeah i'm just going to point out because you spoke about truth and lies like this is an interesting example in in ancient greek you have um the adjective um aletheis and it means something which is true right it's that's how it is in reality but uh pseudes something which is um untruthful is not it's it's a lie it's constantly translated as a lie but actually it's it's not a lie it could be a lie or it could be just like an innocent untruth told to you mm. by someone but it moves it moves the emphasis for example to to the fact that you have not been told the truth that's what matters right? it's like Yeah. Never mind the intentions right now. This is untruth, so be careful with it, right? And these are the little things that um, that are very, very beneficial to to me in my mind. Just goes off a little light bulb and it's like, hey, this is way cool. You know, makes me go sometimes and look up the same word in like many different languages or the same word. It can't be the same word, but and from that you get a much better picture of what the concept behind is. Um, yeah. Yeah, but plenty of there to explore. Like, I, I can't wait for it. I feel like that's going to be my lifelong like project. I don't know. But then again, I have like 20 of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how do you, what do you feel um, it's been doing for you in these uh, last couple of months where the ideas have been kind of gelling becoming more stable um how how has it affected your uh, emotional life or any kind of interaction that you have with people yeah so uh i guess to answer that question i might as well like detail out what happened uh recently so up until this year um i've always believed in that everything is a conversation element but ironically I couldn't express why. I don't know why. I know it's the truth for me. It's, it's a truth I'm willing to believe in. It's, it's a truth I'm willing to commit to. But I don't know why. I just do. Right? It's almost like, oh, you know, I like, I like, I like fried chicken. I don't know why. I just like it. Right? You, just, mm -hmm. you don't need a reason. Right? I just, it's just true. Um, until, this, um, until this year. So, I mean, we were talking about this before we recorded, but we were talking about the weather, right? Like about how it just gets really hot uh, everywhere. And I have a really, really bad thing about humidity. If there's any place that's really hot, I, I would just not function properly. And especially if it's a place where I sweat really easily, you, I would be like bad tempered. I wouldn't think properly. I would just be <laughs> inefficient. But in the last two months, um, I went on a trip to the mountains um, for the weekend. And it's cold. It's windy. It's definitely not Malaysian in particular because we're so used to like heat and all that. 
it's cold. People are wearing jackets, and I was so free and blissful and so happy that I can walk around outside without sweating uh, at all, and that the wind can blow into my face, and I'm like, oh no, that's cold. Yes, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I'm getting cold. Right? It's to that point. Until my body relaxed so much from just the air. Like I was eating the same things and all that and, you know, just enjoying nice views. But just the air. I was so relaxed that I started having visions. It was really, really weird because it was, I was prompted. I, I was prompted um, in with the question, how would I, how would I paint a self-portrait of myself as a metaphor. Like that was the question that, that's just been stuck in my head for a while. I didn't have an answer to it. And then once I was relaxed enough to to see, uh, uh, to go around the mountains, I was so relaxed that a vision popped up to my mind. Like I, I saw the answer. I saw a painting. I saw a painting and I was meant to paint it. And I have I don't know where all of this came from. I had to like sit down and I was, I was like eating dinner and I was so shocked at what I saw that, that I couldn't eat for, for like the rest of the night. I was just like, what do I do now? I, I, this needs to exist. It's like this, this must happen. It's not like, it's not a, it is, it is, it is as per nature's will that this painting must. Yeah. It was, it was possession to this certain point. And I was actually so shocked by how clear that visual was that I was actually afraid. I was so scared. So I drew like like a mock-up of that painting. And um, I drew it, and then I was just processing how did I arrive at that point. And it came to me. Uh, I, I found the answer to why everything is a conversation because everything is a conversation because for time to proceed forward, articulation must happen. So in the hierarchy of anything to happen, any entity to happen, articulation must occur to some degree, way, shape, or form. Now, in a lot of my writings um, and in a lot of my fictional stories, I, I write like fictional stories that I narrate on a podcast um, and people who read my stuff would know that I write in characters. So these characters represent emotion, logic, um, comedy, warmth, whatever it is, right? I found out that articulation, the concept, is another character. But it's not necessarily a character that I formulated as, oh, this is just another part of me. No. It is every single character that exists within me Without them, I am not whole. They must all exist for myself to become whole. But they exist in a world inside me where there is day and night. And so articulation is the shadow of every character, the one commonality between each character. And because the shadow exists, all of them must say something. So if articulation were to move, so if the shadow were to move, the body must move as well. And that somehow justifies my possession by specific characters. If I'm possessed by my creative side, it is not that my creative side wants to do something. It is that 
by the bounds of articulation, it has chosen my creative side to be the vessel from which this thing would be created. Whatever it is, it could be like a poem. It could be a right. So it's like by by the bounds and by the rules and by the natural flow, by the will of articulation, everything that I do is chosen to do this. It is not desire anymore. Desire is now a a a humane mortal concept. I speak now of articulation as 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 evergreen, as endless, right? I speak of articulation as when I write this, I write this forever. I write this for time, right? So this is getting pretty esoteric and very strange, right? And so I was really worried because I was describing it like this, but um, I don't have a reference for it. I have never ever, I've never felt this ever in my life, like how, how grand this feeling would be. And the closest thing was... Um, it was like finding God, right? There's like this like element of faith. I, I was suddenly really faithful to this, uh, to this, to this level of understanding. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not really a religious person myself. Technically, I'm Christian on paper, but like, like I would fall asleep in church and all that. So like, I was. Let's just say I'm not the most like yeah. religiously resonant person. Um, <laughs> but but I found out that in believing this, I feel that that faith exists. But faith is personal, like interpretive. And so my, like a God that I've invented, invented, I'm going to put it in air quotes, invented is mm-hmm. articulation. But it's also wrong for me to say that because it is not that I invented it. It is that I have finally discovered it. I've been finally become aware that the shadow itself is, uh, the shadow itself exists. So, when that happened, when when that trip was done, and and I would sit down and be like, okay, what do I want to write about today, right? We would have those like writing blocks for like, uh, I don't want to. I feel like I should write something or whatever. Um, I have a mantra that I always say before dinner every time, and each line in the mantra is a uh, a wisdom that I collected from like very powerful memories throughout my life. So I made a mantra line for that for that trip just to expand upon that, and I found out that. I can now willingly possess myself to write something if I recite that line in my mantra every single time. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, well, it's it's amazing that, you know, we I pointed this out before at, at, in some conversations, but the fact that people call taking a psychedelic a trip and you don't need it, you literally go on a trip and it's like you're going through these things that are, yeah, I'm like saying before, you know, you couldn't just look at one picture by an artist and understand the whole world. Like, this is the feeling I'm having right now that this is this has to be just uh, one of many conversations in which I'm trying to like get into your mind and 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 get yeah. used to the terminology and stuff. But one thing that I do get is that it's highly creative and 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 highly beautiful. Like, I can I can see that there is a lot of um, intent and attempts to relate things and make them fit in nicely. You know, it's not just, um, it's not rambling at all because you're like creating this coherent uh, thing. And at the beginning, it might be more coherent to you than other people because it is, as you said, it's, 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 it's highly idiosyncratic and it's so creative, which is exactly why I'd like to explore it more. But um, 
yeah, it's 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 just wonderful that that you can do something that's so um, out of the ordinary and and come up with that. Um, yeah, the the shadow part is interesting. You say that the shadow is kind of what binds everything to binds all the characters together. Is if did yeah, I get that um, correctly? Is binding may not be the right word, but rather. Um... But but rather it's like dark uh, I matter, was basically yeah yeah something like dark matter right and I was trying to find commonalities between these characters right and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how they act how they look like what mm -hmm. they're what they exist for they all have a shadow and when they all have a shadow that's at least one common thing between all of them right, right. even if even if they're specialized in like whatever it is right if if all these characters exist on one world and there is a sun, then all of them mm, will have shadow. Yes. And yes. if they all all the shadows overlap, then it will all look the same. It's just this dark yes. matter. This ah, dark absolutely, absolutely. So no, that's now, that's yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm basically trying to see God in that in that overlap, right? Like what what uh, I deem to be. Uh, what can I commit my faith to on that overlap of shadows? And so, in trying to explain this. To myself, I started my semantics started changing because I'm having everything is a conversation, right? I'm having a conversation with myself about what that experience was, and my I noticed that my semantics changed. I it switched from realization to acceptance to surrender. Like there's a temple from which this god overlooks all of our characters or all of my characters, or that I should surrender. And prostrate myself and bow down and kneel for I am merely a vessel for all these things to be articulated for it is the will of articulation for this to happen. Right? So I yeah. should get out of my own way and allow it to happen. It's a mind blend of like all sorts of concepts put together. For some <laughs> reason, it makes complete sense to me. And yeah. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, um, yeah, what what can I say? Is that is that something that, in the sense that when you say um, it sounds almost like a, a mystical experience in a sense, and I'm also uh, wondering about the terminology of of God or faith. Um, is that something that you felt like you were lacking before, like you couldn't connect to exactly the the Christian framework or any other organized religion framework? But you have you. Uh, felt that you do have a need to to go into a, a certain place with that, or is there just completely uh, coincidental? No, there was a certain hmm, like dissonance in in my in my relationship between myself and organized religion. So I've never really used any of those semantics. I've just paid no attention to it. Right, like I'm aware of the concept of God. Like I'm aware of its like impact etc but then when i when i address my own relationship like do i believe in it etc i don't really see how um uh, i don't really see if there is resonance in there so i don't really care for it per se it's just that when exploring what this mystical experience was using these words that are found in faithful contexts turned out to be the closest language I could use to describe mm -hmm. what I'm trying to feel right now. Like, like even now, right? I'm trying to explain this to you, right? And I feel, and I'm throwing the darts at the dartboard. 
I feel I'm like 90% there in trying to explain to you what I actually felt. Mm-hmm. But I assure you that 10%, the weight of that 10% is, is something that I cannot say you must feel. Right. Right. And this is a, and I guess like a, to add further context to what I'm saying here is that after sharing about this experience uh, with someone, we started talking about miracles. So why is it that people are so, um, they hold miracles in such high regard that it may convert them, it may persuade them, it may convince them otherwise. A miracle is something so mystical, so out of left field that they're like, oh, shift, paradigm shift. I'm right. suddenly a different person, right? And, and I was thinking to myself, maybe... Maybe maybe a miracle is a miracle to someone, but not a miracle to somebody else. But rather, you have this certain definition of faith within you that's just unlocked. So it's not new. It was just surfaced up, right? So in my head, that was sort of my gateway to knowing or being aware of these shadows. Because I have yet, I, I, I never, in imagining all of my characters within me, not once have I, oh, do these characters have shadows? And do they have value? Right. I never thought about that up until then. But then suddenly because that painting popped up and the shadows now exist as part of my visuals, the miracle is me being aware of that all of a sudden. Like suddenly they have more form. And I think this is like akin to, akin to like I don't know if you've watched, uh, like, like Wreck It Ralph or something, where they've yeah. been living in a two D world, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's a three D world. And they're like, whoa, what? There's another dimension? What? Yeah. Like that's gonna be mind blowing for any any living thing, right? Like if they suddenly meet another, like they they go to another realm, there's another dimension. Like what the heck? So there's also a famous like book, a famous book about. Um... Uh, living in 2D and then they discover somebody with, yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think it, it's so interesting to me, the, the whole area. For me, I, I had a mystical experience um, because I, I took a drug and it's very interesting when you get to the point and there's just something. Now, there's there's like trying to understand something and getting answers and like having discourse and stuff. There's there's all that. That's that, That's the usual part. And then there's the kind of experience that just gives you conviction and and understanding that you have just a, a real authority figure has spoken, you know. And it might be you. I think a lot of people, a lot of people, kind of um, outsource this to a, to a god because it does feel yeah. like something not in us. Uh, but you could also take a, a perspective that says, you know, it, it is us, just us on drugs or us on highly, highly creative streaks. Um, and uh, this moment is very, very interesting. Like the whole the whole notion of authority is something that which fascinates me. And what makes us change our mind and really be comfortable with believing something because there's also like you could come to a conclusion about something and be rational about it and say i need to do that because this would give me the 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 highest chance of getting to where i want to be but you don't know right and then there are these other things where you just no, like it's easy for you to act on them, right? A person who uh, who's just experienced a near-death experience 
you know, before then, um, the weight of the communications they get from society and culture is is really um, heavy, right? Is it, it really heavy? Like they they they're happy not to carry it and just go along with what the other people say. And then you see yeah. this person going going through a near death experience, and suddenly everything that mattered so much doesn't matter. They're now out there trying to live the best life they want to live um, as per themselves. And no one is going to, to stop that from happening. That's, yeah, that's so fascinating. So fascinating. What goes on there where you suddenly find a place where you are so confident um, in, in your own understanding of the world and you don't need all these um, advice and consultations from the rest of society. But uh, reaching up to that point, though, it's it's so difficult. Like the barrier to achieve that is yeah. so high. It almost looks unknown and it almost looks inhumane. So in the pursuit of self, sometimes people would just default to finding outsourced narratives, right? We mm -hmm. find communities where like, oh, they have a like they have you know, a certain set of principles of kindness and we subscribe to most of them. And so we feel belonged or uh, cultures that gravitate towards living a certain way or a certain lifestyle. And we're like, oh, you know, I, I, I feel like I see a little, like some part of myself in that. So let me, let me, let me to, to try to achieve personal definitions, your own personal textbook of the world to understand the world is one thing another like that that's one thing already that's already a big challenge the second mm -hmm. thing is there's a certain fear in doing that because even if you are capable of doing that most people i believe won't do that because it will further isolate themselves from other people because the journey to reach up to that point yes is so heavy yes. that there's a certain compromise like yes. these definitions cannot be shared with anybody else yes like i i i, I think about like i i I, I talk about these these shadows acting as articulation, um, the hierarchy in which articulation is greater than any entity in, in the known universe. And I think of myself as not just like not just me and my own name or this body, etc, but I'm just a vessel for something to happen, right? But that's something that I believe in. It's very difficult for me to share that with other people. And even yes. if there are people who may understand it, um, Understanding and resonance are two different distinctions. So knowing that people may be able to relate, that's great as well. Uh, but if it's totally the same experience, I don't know. And because I don't know, uh, isolation does like plague the back of my mind sometimes. Yeah. Because yeah. when I want to share my struggles of like, hey, you know, like I like there's been a day where um, articulation refuses to... Uh, provide me with my message for the day, right? Like my, what am I supposed to preach about today? Or what am I supposed to express today, etc. What do I do? Um, do I assign my lost identity to something else, right? Is there like an imposter syndrome kind of thing or, or some other framework that I should like gravitate towards instead? But having that kind of conversation with other people, it's kind of hard to find people who might understand it already. It's, you're right. It's it's that's that's the scary part. Like for me too, after having gone through the the most profound experience of my life and feeling like I'm one with everything, and then understanding that one with everything means also nothing. Um, and you get to this thing where you're just kind of 
fast forwarded into this like, very concise understanding, but you went through yeah. a whole journey that people have not usually taken. And then you come back and then they want to talk about, oh, you know, the cashier, the supermarket wasn't nice to me. And you're like, my mind was just blown. And now you're going to make <laughs> me talk about this like petty thing that you're upset with your <laughs> friend or something. And this is this is unsettling because as much as the truth uh, matters, these high-level understandings for yourself, which I think can, uh, can really enrich our lives and do that, I don't think it could ever beat human connection in its importance for our well-being. And that was, that was the, um, the lesson in there for me. And I set a criterion going forward in life. No amount of truth that I'm going to find and this type of understanding is worth me not being able to communicate with people. And it doesn't mean that I don't go out and and try to understand and try to get at, at new truths and new understandings for myself. But uh, I almost I almost took a vow with you know within myself to to never lose touch with people or never and always try to relate to other people because if you're right this isolation is you know it's it's nice to think about a, a year of isolation like you say right but um, a life of isolation is probably going to be very very detrimental and we should be yeah. careful about it i think that the people who um are we consider crazy uh, that's that's what it is an inability to relate i had i had an interesting experience when i spent um a considerable amount of time with somebody with schizoaffective disorder in the middle of the forest so he wasn't on meds and there was no um there was no support of any kind and i really wanted him to to feel better and i wanted to understand i was fascinated with that and i could just see he he would be this wonderful kind human being and then because that was his cope or something he he would smoke uh he would smoke marijuana and then just go off and you could see his eyes just going somewhere it's like not with us anymore you know he's sailing in a completely different um universe and then i would try to reach out and understand and he would have all these stories there was like classic out of the textbook, um, schizophrenia. And um, so paranoia, every, everything, really, every, every point, I think. And I was trying very hard to relate to him in, in, in two ways. First of all, I challenged him gently to, to have a timeline, to draw a timeline for me, to draw, to do things that would explain it to me rather than, because the usual thing, it might sound like an explanation, but it's really just rambling and forever diverging into many things, right? So I challenge him gently to say something that I would understand, right? And then the other thing was that for me, emotionally and in my own psyche, I tried not to immediately say on everything that he says that it's uh, crap. You know, it was like uh, my parents are robots, right? They're looking after me. There's wires everywhere. Uh, everybody who's talking is talking about me. That ad, like the new ad on the radio that we heard the other day, 
you don't know this. There's like 8 billion people on the planet, but this one is, is for me, like communicating, uh, communication from Jay-Z to me or something like that, right? Um, and it was, it was a, a hard exercise for me to really not go down the route of like, I'm not listening anymore, but try to tease out what's the emotional state that, that like made this um, develop in the first place, this sense that oh, what's there. And the result was that I was very disturbed <laughs> because look, if you, if you go down just a little bit and if you let your guard down and you're going to say not everything that, that this person says is automatically bullshit, well, then you um, play with the ideas a little bit. Like, what if this part is this true? And then you start seeing that if, I, if I'm choosing to relate to this person and be in understanding with them and speak their language, as you would say, and, and understand the context, uh, I'm noticing myself slipping away from the rest of society and being able to discuss anything with other people. So it was like a, a yeah, tightrope walk. It was very, very interesting and very disturbing. And eventually he was picked up by his family, I think, and uh, hopefully he's doing well. I have no idea. Uh, but this was a very strange experience and really taught me a lot about... Um, this place of, of relationship with with other people for sure yeah that must be very difficult to navigate around because these are you know variations of humanity that that we're maybe one not trained to navigate around um two yeah. can be very sensitive for one party or the other like if you were to respond i wouldn't say negatively but rather if you were to respond in a way where uh, they wouldn't like it, then you don't know what the consequences of that would be. Like, there's like an unpredictable element to it, right? Especially yeah. uh, when, when you have certain, um, like if you are on meds and you, you don't have the meds with you or something, uh, stability then becomes uh, a factor to, to take into consideration. Um, to what extent can you further probe in or like provoke or uh, or inquire more about what they're saying? Like, why why do they feel that par that paranoia is justified and more? Um, and and therein comes the question of what are they really trying to say from their perspective? And are they having a conversation? Like if they're having a conversation, who is it to? Is it to is it to the world, like indirectly to the world? And then mm -hmm. you just happen to have heard it, uh, and then they're actually saying it to themselves because that could be but that could be one angle, right? Like because we are just at that point, we are merely just observers, and we want to just uh, understand. I, I, I think like I would be in very similar situation uh, position to you because I, I wouldn't know what to do as well. Um, but I think no, there's, the... there's no, there's no right way. But well, the the right way yeah. by that time, I, the experience I talked about, like the mystical experience, I, I, I had already had it. So that that was the point that I was, I was talking to this person and not, not letting go of the loving relationship. And yeah. in order to do that, I, I sacrificed logic because I had to go with that person to where they are. And the, the whole paranoia thing, if I took anything out of it, is that the whole paranoia thing is simply a manifestation of, of really not trusting other people and not feeling that they love you. 
and 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 you're right you you would be right thinking that because these people are just in in because they have to defend themselves and the world that they know they're not going there with you and they're telling you that you're crazy so i got to to this mm. point with this guy where i was able to even joke about it with him and i'm like well do you know um i i i constantly ask questions about things that are outside you know like very simple biographical things like what do they say you have and it's like they say that i'm imagining all this right that it isn't true at all and i'm like uh, well does it have a name what do they call it well they call it schizophrenia um and do you do you understand their viewpoint that that it sounds a, a bit bizarre to them that you're one person and you think that the world is like a revolves around you and all that and he's um yeah i know it's it's really strange i agree that it's strange and i'm like well what do you, do you think it there's a plausible um scenario where where it's some things in your brain are working differently and and this causes this to to happen and it's like yeah it's plausible but the only problem is i know i'm I'm right, right? So everything, everything you, <laughs> everything you talked about, that we talked about, getting to that point with that conviction about it was like, here is reality. Well, here's another person who has it, um, and can literally get no one on their side to share their world with them. They're also really bad about communicating it because it's kind of rambling. Um, but but the point about paranoia is that they do feel disconnected and they're not wrong about that. They are disconnected. And if you're disconnected, everybody's just like, you know, some faculties are still fine with them, like some of the emotional faculties. And it's not it's not autism where he doesn't get like facial expressions. He sees people disdain or disbelief or this whatever. And um, and this causes them to cross to the other side. And this is paranoia. Like, here's this person, you know. So I tried my best to reach out and be in touch with this person, no matter how crazy the stories were. And I can only hope that some some of it stuck with him, you know. I'm sure it must have been a very memorable experience for him because it's very rare, I'm sure for those with paranoia to have someone inquire at the same level of depth as said paranoia. Mm -hmm. I would think that maybe um, psychologists or therapists or consultants would be, would be geared or trained towards achieving that level of depth conversation between, uh, between the two parties, because that's sort of what's needed, right? Like part of, part of the, part of the, part of the reason why that experience can be emotionally charging is that there is isolation involved. Like that, the fact that there's like that you feel alone and, you know, we get antsy when we, when we feel alone, we get like desperate ish for, for a connection or a conversation or, or to be listened to the desire to validate our own existence, the, the, the figuring out whether or not it was worth being here, etc. Like mm -hmm. isolation at that point becomes very, very, um, uh, dangerous in all of its forms. And now we come to a position where it's now affecting us day to day and it's now affecting the way that we communicate with people. And if we go back to everything as a conversation, 
if everything is a conversation, but the conversation is getting affected, then it will be hard to define who we are because we are a product of all the conversations that we've had throughout our lives. And that shakiness is going to affect anybody. It doesn't matter how it doesn't matter how like how pious or faithful or kind or whatever. If if it's gonna be shaky ground, everyone anyone will be affected. It's just more about how to express it. And uh, to be honest, sometimes that's what I worried about as well, because of how um, I arrive at these conclusions. But the further that I arrive at these, the more that I arrive at these conclusions, the more that I isolate myself because of my different kinds of understanding um, with, with people. And I wouldn't say paranoia to a certain degree. I wouldn't say like, you know, people will judge me or hate me too with, with this level of reasoning or justification, et cetera, that I've just conjured out of nowhere. I wouldn't say it's to that degree, but more so that maybe I have this inherent expectation of how I want to be treated. And because it's not being met, maybe I'm not being understood enough that it's a feedback loop of of something that's been plaguing in my mind. And I worry about, like what you said, like finding the balance between truly understanding something and then seeking human connection. There's a balance between that. Um, I don't want to lose either of it. But extreme ideas like secluding myself for one year seems like it's mainly towards the former <laughs> rather than the latter. It's just like, hey, you know what? I want to understand myself better. Let me just cut off all human connection for like one year and be a monk while I'm be writing what you wish in for. my notes. Yeah, yeah. I I I I I should be careful. Like and, and, I'm probably leaning towards like the ideal benefits stuff, but not the yeah, yeah. And the, and the paranoia, I want to say, you know, of course you haven't experienced paranoia because nobody has uh, put you in a halfway house unwillingly, right? So this guy, yeah. it's it's not just that people went to the other side of the street, but he perceived his nearest and dearest to, to wrong him by, you know, telling him that he has this condition or you have to take these meds or we're sending you to a halfway house. And the beginning was kind of his fault because his best friend, he told me that it all started when he um, basically had sex with the, with the girlfriend of his best friend. So, you know, from the beginning, it was a dynamic of like, oh, um, there's like, I'm against something, right? And then there was right. like this big drama and, um, and there was uh, an adversarial theme to the whole thing. So that's where the paranoia shows up. It's not just like, oh, people don't get me and I'm lonely. Like loneliness is one thing. It's like people don't get me and I'm isolated. Uh, but if you have this adversarial theme of people are out there to get you and do things to you, well, um, yeah, so uh, let's just not do shitty stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Norm, I uh, I feel like you brought it back ever the podcaster. You brought it back to the theme of the of the conversation and, and that's great. Um, this has been... Uh, time well spent and and more than that so thank you so much for uh for taking the time and finally coming on the podcast uh, i'd really love for you to to share with anybody listening where you could be find online and your work and so on whatever you want to um to highlight yeah sure so uh i'm mainly on twitter i mean of course you'd find me out there um, i'm mainly on twitter at norman chella so norman c-h-e-l-l-a and uh, all my writings um, that can be found in many different forms, whether it's sketches, whether it's fictional stories, whether it's just thought pieces, whatever it is, 
can be found on that's the norm.com. Um, I don't know if you'll put the link in there somewhere. I don't know. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. But you can just find it as well on my Twitter profile. So that's probably the best way to, to put it. And yeah, you can, anyone who wants to reach out to me to ask more about what I've shared uh, in this episode, you can totally just DM me and I'd be happy to talk about it. Awesome, Norm. Well, amazing. And thank you so much once again. For, 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 thank you.